Welcome to the Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me again today is Michael Alas, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing, doing great. Glad to be here. Today, we'll be talking about equity in healthcare. To provide the caregiver perspective on this topic, and joining us for the second time on the IMEG podcast, we have Dr. Ann Doran, who is a pediatric hospitalist at Advocate Children's Hospital in Chicago. Ann, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thanks for coming back again. And also we have Dr. Megan Morgan, who is a registered nurse and pediatric nurse educator at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for having us. And I'll start with you. What has been your experience in diversity, equity, and inclusion, either at your organization or elsewhere? You know, what we've seen is a big push to have a more astute awareness of where the gaps in care are because of ways that we address diverse populations, the way that we are inclusive of all populations culturally, spiritually, and even populations of different varying levels of health literacy. Um, and so, you know, what we've, what I've seen personally is, you know, a, a big push for us to have a dedicated team of people um, bringing an awareness and education to the organization to be able to deliver care in an effective way. One of the things that I, I think about uh, just from my own experiences and others is that in healthcare, that communication piece is, is so very important. I always felt like I was very lucky, a pretty educated consumer of healthcare, and it was still, I've had some, definitely some challenges as I've gone through, you know, healthcare issues with, with my family and, and those sorts of things. What have you seen help bridge that gap? What, what, what's effective? What can help really improve that communication as you work with that really diverse group of, of patients? Throughout organizations over time, I think we've seen the shift, especially from like a translation services and language barriers um, standpoint, we've seen organizations switch from just like phones where there's an interpreter over um, on the other line and you're kind of translating back and forth to we've tried to do in-person translation services as well. But I think our biggest success recently has been... Um, interpreter services on like an iPad type de device that can go um, mobily into multiple patient rooms if necessary and really have that face-to-face -face interaction of the translator so that the family of another speaking language can actually see somebody of their culture speaking to them and translating for them. I think it's really created a great collaboration amongst the healthcare providing team um, and the patients and families with different language barriers. That's, I think that's an example of a technology we all use, FaceTime. I, I think the huge challenge is on the translation side is we're becoming more diverse, not less diverse, I think, as a, as a country. And so the amount of languages that could walk in, you know, people that speak of just a number of different languages that could walk into a hospital and how do you provide, you know, how do you match up the right translator to the right, to the right patient? I think, I mean, something... It's, it's simple technology that we use every day, but it, it could be a little bit more complex to apply it in, in a healthcare setting, but it seems like something that could be really effective. Absolutely. I think, you know, and, and when you think about designing a space, is the internet 
fast enough to support all of this different, you know, uh, you know, that that's what we have the biggest issue with. We have the, the iPads, but the internet often will not work. And so then you can't communicate with your patients. So, and I also think it would be interesting to think about a way, like how could you use, you know, the TVs in the room and hook that in with the translator, the video translator services so that they have an even bigger screen to look at that the child can see. Cause usually we have a little screen that we're putting towards a family, but oftentimes, you know, obviously the patients speak the same language that their parents do. And so to be able to include everybody in the room in the conversation, I think is really powerful. So how could we do that? You know, it, obviously it's not just about making um, everyone feel included and, and so forth and being able to communicate with them. It, the, the ultimate goal is to make sure they get the best outcome. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, have you, can you provide an example of how lack of inclusion, diversity, equity in healthcare, et cetera, has really resulted in, you know, a poor outcome or added cost or added return visits, that type of thing? So many examples, I think, in terms of, especially, you know, the point that Mike brought up, you know, do you have the right translator? Is it a dialect that, you know, that specific translator speaks? You know, we've had families who have absolutely no clue what we're talking about. And, you know, you think you're giving them anticipatory guidance on, you know, what to look for to come back to the hospital or ways to give the medicines at home. And then they end up back in the emergency room because they didn't give the antibiotics. They didn't understand how to do it, but they were too embarrassed to ask for a different interpreter. They didn't even know how because the person that we had didn't speak their same dialect. Um, That's one example. The return visits, I think, are the biggest thing. And then also losses to follow up. And so the, I mean, and that's really the tragic thing. If they, you know, then don't seek care because they don't trust it because it wasn't effective for them the time that they were there before. And so I have seen a child, um, a Guatemalan refugee whose parents were scared to bring him in because they weren't documented. And then they just waited and waited and waited and had a horrible infection. And then once they were there, were scared to tell us that they didn't have insurance, that they didn't, you know, and so it really impacted the way that we delivered care, the way we came up for the entire plan of how I was going to go home. And then at the end, it was like, oh, no, they can't actually afford the medicines. They can't bring them back for therapies. They don't have a pediatrician. And so you have to completely readdress the plan. And then they're there for another week while we figure it out. And we could have been working on it the whole time. So I have a lot of examples, but it's it's a very significant issue. You know, Anne, in the la- last time we got together and spoke, you know, you talked about that collaborative team effort. How does having that team together help address some of these issues? I was thinking about that as Anne was talking Um I think a lot of it goes, we talk about collaboration and creating these safe spaces for parents to feel empowered to speak up and say something when they don't um, think the plan of care is correct or that the uh, patients can speak up. And if we don't even speak the same language or if we haven't created a culturally sensitive environment right off the bat, we're never going to get there with these patients and their families. And so for me, it's kind of twofold of not only creating a collaborative work environment, but also creating a space that is culturally sensitive um, to all of the things that Anne had mentioned. And I think, you know, we have uh, a multitude of team members that we work with that have skill sets that are definitely geared towards this as well. Sort of our social workers, our case managers, you know, people who are aware of the resources that we have in the way that we deliver care 
because I could have what I think is the best plan in the world for how to take care of someone. But if they can't access that care, I might as well not even be doing it. So um, I think working together with sort of the nurses that look at the dynamics every day and understand what it's like at the bedside, the social workers who can sort of delve into what their resources are and where they live, the case managers that can actually help say, okay, this is what we can get for them through charity care or the health department. You know, so I think we all really do work together to figure out how to do our job. I have a good friend who's a doctor and we obviously design hospitals and, and clinics and, and those things. And when I talk to him, you know, part of his focus is this population and health. And one of his comments, and I think this, it goes really right to this, this, this topic is patients spend a very small percentage of their time, you know, in, in our facilities, they spend a lot more time in, in their home. And I think some of the t- things that you brought up about how do you get them help? You know, how do you communicate with them so they can, do the right things when they're when they're home or get them the help that that they can do that it's just is it, is really important it's a challenge um across all populations and i think some of the some of the more disadvantaged groups it's even it's even a bigger challenge and a bigger you know detriment to their to the health of those communities almost everybody has a phone you know so how can we use what they have to help deliver that care check in on them you know call them facetime that follow-up. And that's something that we've started to do. There's a nurse that comes in every day and their whole day is filled with calling all of the families that were discharged the day before to check in. And, you know, if they need an interpreter, you do do it through the phone. And so sort of, you know, that's one thing that I've seen to sort of try to mitigate some of these problems where you say you send them off and you try to set them up follow-up and everything. But, you know, often as a hospital provider, I don't ever see them again. And so how do we ensure that the plan that we've laid out is, is followed through? And so I think there's ways to use technology to do that. You know, I think there's, I agree, there's a, a lot of opportunities. So as we're designing spaces, we're designing these buildings, what are, you know, physically, what are some things in layout and things that we should think about that can help, you know, as you deal with this diverse patient population? I think when we're designing spaces, um, something to think about is just the fact of when you design it, thinking like not everybody can utilize that space. And so we think about like throughout the pandemic, we've had to isolate a lot of our children. um, And that was pre-pandemic and that's going to be after um, it's all said and done as well. And so if we create things that are fun for kids, like playrooms or game zone centers, for the kids who can't go to those places um, due to their condition, how can we bring that to the patient room? So I think that's a super big focus for me is um, we have learned how much mental health has been impacted through the pandemic because of the ways patients have been isolated. Um, And so what can we offer at the bedside in the patient rooms that we can easily offer outside of the room as well, but how do we bring that to the patient bedside, I think would be a big thing to consider. And nothing worse than a kid seeing a playroom and they can't go and play it, play it. How do we, how do we address those things? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great point. For those healthcare organizations that maybe are just a little slower to act, uh, do you have any suggestions on where they can begin and what it takes for an organization to really make substantial gains toward equity? 
I think you need to look at who you have on your team, who who is there that has a different perspective than you. It's like who who what physician, nurse, social worker, case manager, who do you have that's delivering care and partnering with you that looks different than you do, that has had a different experience in life than you've had, and who would think about things that you would never begin to think about because the world has acted different towards you your whole life than someone who has a different religion, a different skin color, a different background, who grew up in a different country. And so I think you know organizations need to look at the people that that they have that they've already hired who 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 have had different experiences and really reach out to them and access that wealth of knowledge and experience to help impart a better experience to the patients and the the people that we take care of. One of the things we've done here at our company was we've we've talked somewhat about unintended bias, where uh, you know just that knowledge that that realization that you may be have these biases that you didn't even realize you had and it's affecting how you're doing your work and how you're re- reacting with other people. I think, um, do you think that's a part of it too, Megan? Do, do you think that's something you've seen or that organizations need to take a look at as well? Yeah, most definitely. I think so much when you collaborate on a team, you're so everybody, it just naturally is quick to provide input but we're not always quick to just sit and listen to what other people have to say. And so um, I would say challenge yourself to like what Ann said, find somebody who is different than you, who comes from a different background, who maybe looks different than you and listen to what they have to say and listen to how um, their background impacts the way that they practice um, or make decisions. And then um, kind of do some self-reflection and see how that maybe um, would change your viewpoint and how you would go about your daily life. You talked a little bit earlier about, you know, sometimes you want to use FaceTime, but you don't have access to the internet. I think as engineers, those are the problems we we can solve and want to solve so that the patients can get the care that they need. And I think that that's a, not, a lot easier solution than the challenges that, that you both have, have shared and talked about. I think it's important that all those things are considered and that's, you know, we can get the best outcomes for our patients. So I think it's been a, a great discussion. I appreciate appreciate you both being here. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. We're happy to be a part of it. For more of Ann and Megan's perspectives on healthcare, listeners can check out a previous episode on improving provider satisfaction. If you'd like to check that episode out as well, you can find us on imegcorp.com. Simply go to our insights tab at the top and you can find our podcasts. You can also find us on any podcast app. We'll be back with another episode in the near future. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.